Hi, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. I'm sitting there having a conversation with a friend of mine, Walt Rakowicz. Walt, welcome to the podcast. Great to be on, John. Thank you. And, uh, you know, we were just talking about what's going on right now in the world. And, uh, Walt, you just said something that really stood out to me, that leaders throughout the world right now are just facing some tremendous challenges and, you know, you've been a CEO from companies all the way up through getting started, all the way through one of the biggest public companies in the country. And you were in the commercial real estate business at a company called Prologis. And you had to navigate this team through 2008. I can't think of a company that was probably more impacted, had so much. It was probably one of the most challenging leadership uh, crucibles that I could personally think of. And you were right in the middle of it and had to lead through your team, your team through this, the company through this. There was, how many employees did you have at the time, Walt? Uh, we had about 2,000. So think about that. Now you're making a decision with your team and your board, and you know that this could affect 2,000 lives and their families and their mortgages and and their ability to, you know, just go to the store. And, when the, and we're back in a time of, uh, I think, some uncertainty. And you said something to me, and I love it, right? Uh, leadership is not about you. Right. And, and guys, this is what we're going to talk about today. And, and uh, well, I love your take on leadership. It's about, as a leader, what, what is the purpose of leadership? We always talk about the definition, right? There's a lot of great definitions, you know, encouraging the team to get the mission done, having a positive influence on other people. And I love kind of the biblical definition of leadership. And that's when we lay down our life to serve the life of another. And I think of that for myself as laying down my agenda to help other people succeed. But what is the purpose of leadership? And I love what you said. Well, it, it's about having a transformational influence. Yep. Others, right? Yep. As a matter of fact, I th- that's why actually why we named our company Beyond Influence, because if you could have a transformational influence on one person, and now they're leading in a sphere of influence that you don't know, you don't have any interaction with, but they're now having that transformational influence in that sphere because of the influence you had in their life. Now that is what you call transfluence, right? I call it transfluence, right? I published a book two years ago about this. It's called transfluence. And people ask me all the time, well, that's kind of a cool word. What does that mean? And I said, it's the amalgamation of two words, transformational influence. Believe it or not, there actually is a word transfluent, um, which means a water flowing through someplace, right? And in many respects, I I, I kind of believe that transfluence is fairly similar because it needs to flow through the heart of a leader. I really think, you know, John, as a leader, you've got a lot of objectives to accomplish and you have a lot of competing interests. And um, most leaders actually believe that they're in a role to accomplish something that perhaps their board of directors have said, in my case, it was turn around this company, stupid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we were, when I took over the company, the stock was down over 95% in 10 months, if you can believe that. We were the we were the third worst performing stock in the S&P 500 in 2008 from January through the first week of November. And the board asked me to come back and try to turn this around. And honest to God, when I first came back, I, I really did believe that my mission was to turn around the company. But I began to realize that as time went on, 
that it wasn't actually my mission to turn around the company. My mission was to lift people up internally so that they could turn around the company. In other words, it does sort of take a whole team of people to get this done. It's not one person. And um, perhaps if we get into this, I'll tell you a story about uh, a coach um, and what a coach had told me during this time. But in any case, I do think that a leader has a lot of objectives, but the most important one is the influence that he or she has on those they lead. You don't know that when you're going through it sometimes and you feel the pressure and the pain associated with getting what you think your mission is done. But your legacy, in my view, is all about the influence that you have on other people. And if you do that right, they will help you to accomplish what you believe is your mission uh, or what your board believes that that is your mission. And I do think it starts with the notion that it is not about you. It is about the influence that you have on other people. And, you know, you talked about biblical. I mean, I, I, I think this is servant leadership at its best when you go to work every day saying, what can I do for you as opposed to what can I do for myself? I think you ought to be focused on how, how can you make your people better at the things that they do? That's what true leadership is about. And um, I also talk in the book about the importance of trust. At the end of the day, people ask me all the time, well, why, why is it that in, you know, influencing others um, is so important? And, and I, I actually believe that it has something to do with building trust in, in your organization. People trust others that um, care about them. I mean, it's just that simple. I actually believe that trust, you know, building trust, trust is the currency. I like to say it's the currency of business. I really believe that. So this whole notion starts out with um, the notion that it's not about you, it's about others. And the more you focus on them, uh, the more successful you'll be. Well, you know, bringing that up, uh, I was just, I just finished reading, rereading again, The Speed of Trust by Covey. Oh, yeah, yeah. So here's something interesting. Just think about this is leading an organization. So they surveyed over a thousand companies. So I, I don't even, I can't remember the number of individuals, but the companies that said that they felt like they were in a trusted environment, you know, with their team, their boss, their culture, 50% more productive. Interesting. 72% higher engagement, 106% more energy, 13% less sick days reported by those companies, and 35% less people reporting that they felt like they were in burnout. So, you know, a lot of these things that we talk about, like what you're talking about, servant leadership and building trust and, and you know, this culture, I, I honestly think these things that used to be viewed as almost the soft skills, these are the hard skills. Imagine right now with your organization without hiring anybody, if you just had 50% more productivity and 70 plus percent higher engagement with the team that you had just right now. And so, uh, you know, one thing about building trust, I think of trust as like a, a bank. You make deposits and withdrawals. Mm-hmm. And I just did this with the team. And I said, hey, what are those things that are, you know, withdrawals, right? Those are pretty straightforward. What are those things that are deposits? And I think trust is kind of like compounding interest with investments. <laughs> so guess what? The fastest way to start building trust with somebody is stop taking withdrawals. That is, that is <laughs> one thing people can start with right now. But, you know, this place that you're talking about, uh, Wald, I've been fortunate to work with, oh my gosh, 
thousands of leaders around the world, Fortune 100 CEOs, their leadership teams. Here's something, though, I've observed. You're talking about actually a really self-aware, mature place of leadership. Something that I see, I think, in a lot of CEOs, whether it's spoken or unspoken, here's some things I, I think they're afraid of, right? Incompetence. I don't want to be seen as not being able to make a good decision or not leading well or, or underachievement. They're afraid of, like, I can't imagine the pressure on you. You come back into this corporation, stock fell 95%. You have a team there and the board is counting on you to turn it around. Yeah. Right? So you have these competing pressures. And I could see myself even just stepping into being very command control, very directive because, right, uh, it's on me. Right? That could be a perspective people have. And I think the other one, too, is just I see a lot of CEOs being afraid of being too vulnerable. And one of the things that I've always just appreciated and loved about you is your vulnerability. Like, uh, uh, I just remember the story you told last time we were together about you walked into the team when everything looked like you had no idea which way to go. And you told the guys, I don't have the answers. Yeah. Uh, right? that, that was so when I think about that, how do I make this shift? Well, like, or maybe you think about your own journey and, and, and there's a lot of CEOs. There's a lot of leaders listening right now that I, I'm guessing could relate to that. How did you start to make that shift to the kind of leader that you were talking about at the beginning? Well, I, I talk a lot in the book about, what I call the two most serious leader leadership blockers that a leadership leader has. And that's pride and fear. Mm. And, and you just, you know, you just sort of nailed the fear side of it. And by the way, I do believe that you can have authentic pride and you can have authentic fear that could actually create good outcomes. In other words, I think, you know, like I have a lot of pride in my kids. I have, I pr have pride in working hard, you know, and, I think the the issue with pride is is when it gets to hubristic pride, arrogance, narcissism, those sorts of things. But on the fear side that you just talked about, John, you know, on on the good side, I, I like to always tell people that Taylor Swift likes to say that every time she gets in front of sixteen thousand people, she's fearful, even though she does it almost every night. But she's fearful of messing up. But that actually raises the stakes and makes her a better performer. I could see that being good. But you spoke about the three things that are, are massive fears that are out there, and that is incompetence, underachievement. You talked about vulnerability. Those things are really hard. So people ask me all the time the same question you just asked me, you know, well, how do you, how do you deal with your fears? Mm. And I can tell you that I deal with them through faith. I mean, to me, faith and fear have one thing in common. And that is that they both focus on the future. Outside of that, they got nothing in common. Fear believes in a negative future. And it causes leaders to do stupid things. You know, I mean, if you talk about incompetency, well, a lot of times people feel incompetent. And so therefore it makes them dictatorial because they want to be able to control what's going on. You know, that's just one example. But anyway, I deal with it through faith, and, and faith believes in a positive future. Don't get me wrong, I'm fearful of a lot of things, but at the end of the day, I think the antidote to fear is faith, and it's only a thought away. That's the way that I look at it, and you know, for me, it's faith in somebody 
that is much higher and much more powerful to me. But and you know, I have to tell you that that faith allows me to deal with the fears that you're talking about. You, well, you're really making me think because, you know, as I think I had this journey through business and especially since my accident, Walt, and I'll, I'll never forget uh, 10 years ago and uh, everything had been taken away financially, my health, my network. I've been in a hospital for two years and God led me into being an entrepreneur. Like, no, you're going to go build this coaching business to start. And I'm like, I had no idea. All of those fears were there. Mm -hmm. But here's what I saw as I started looking back through my life. I'm like, oh my good, look at all these amazing. I actually started kind of writing down what I called an evidence log. All these places where God was faithful, mm -hmm. where God was stepped in, where God started revealing his will. And honestly, my prayer every day and my prayer now building uh, this company, uh, Alpha Principle with Eric, is God show me the next small step I need to take not even just today, but in this meeting. And when I can be constantly in partnership with God in what I'm doing and just trust him, even though sometimes the external evidence isn't right there in front of me, all of a sudden I just realized I'm staying on the path with the Lord. And But, you know, the hard part is, is all of a sudden you hit adversity, you hit a wall, and then you want to depend on yourself. Like, I got to fix this. I have to do this. And here's what I realized for myself, Walt. As soon as I started saying the word I, I'm separating myself from really partnering with the Lord because I just removed him from the equation. Yeah. And, you know, that was one of my feedback loops for myself to really start to kind of step into leading, like you said, really with a servant heart from a different perspective. And I got to tell you, it has largely removed a lot of that stress and anxiety and fear that I used to feel um, in similar situations. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned the word adversity. Um, I, I think sometimes um, our fears are at their highest when we're going through adverse times. But the truth of the matter is those are actually the times we have the greatest opportunities. You know, a while back, and I think it was, well, in fact, I know it was 2020, I heard a speech from Ed Bastian, who's the CEO of Delta Airlines. Think about this in 2020, you know, their stocks, Delta stocks probably down. I don't know what it was down, but I know their earnings were down 80% or so, right? I mean, literally everything fell off. There's nobody flying anywhere. And so there were a number of questions about fear. Um, and there were a number of questions that people had for him, period, about how do you run the company during that period of time? And at the end, somebody asked him a question. They said, you know, is there anything else that you want to say? And it was really interesting. Think about what this guy's going through. And he said, this is a time that we're anointed for as leaders. Mm. He said, this is a blessing, not a burden. He said, it's, a, it's an amazing time and an amazing chapter in our lives. We will never forget it. And he said, what an honor and privilege that I it is for me to be the CEO of this company that is if you will, you know, experiencing hardships. I couldn't believe that. I was just astounded by it. So he was and, grateful yeah. for this, basically this crucible that he was leading his team through versus, right, how, how maybe many of us would feel. Yeah. And and I have to tell, you know, in, in this, it synced up with the very things I was writing about. And I knew internally, but it still was hard for me to imagine it, right? <laughs> like, can't believe this guy's going through this. 
And so I, what I want your listeners to know that, that at least the uh, moment that hit me was, you know, you can't let a, let a crisis get the best of you. No one would, you know, wish it on anybody, but you got to persevere. And in doing so, let your character shine, which is what he did to everybody on that call that day. And, you know, attitude matters. And um, consider your crucible moments as an honor and privilege. Hard to do. Don't get me wrong. But make a difference in the lives because here's the thing. Everybody was watching Ed Bastian at that time. His employees were. Investors on Wall Street were. You can't believe the focus on him and the attention. And yet, you know, you want to be influential in the lives of other people. That's how you do it. And, you know, it starts with you. So, yeah, I think, you know, he could live in fear and everybody around him would notice it. Or he could lead in a very influential way uh, with a tremendous attitude, look at it as an opportunity, which is he did. And we all know in the next two years, obviously, airlines, you know, rebounded and it seems like a long time ago now. But I have to tell you, it was very impressive to watch somebody lead like that. Yeah. And, and what I heard and what you said there, right, crisis reveals our character. Right. Yes. All of a sudden, right. It's low tide. We're saying, oh, here's what Ramstead's all about. But you know what? In that, you know, I God, you know what? The first thing God said to me at my accident when I was in his presence is all things work together for good. Yeah. Those that love the Lord. And what if we just accepted that everything that's happening in our life is actually and there's a plan that might be so much bigger than us. It could even be generational. We like the disciples back 2000 years ago, right? They did not have easy lives and they went through it and they, they probably didn't realize that everything that they were doing at the time and how they were leading and, and sharing was designed. What was God's will to, to spread the good news of Christ around the entire globe. So yeah. we, we don't know what the plan is, but in that moment, I really think these are places that like Ed did, right? Like I'm grateful because this is starting to reveal things about me. I need to make some changes. And and, and while I know you did that, because I know you've shared some pretty vulnerable moments, I, I'd love for you to even bring us back to maybe some of those meetings with the team when you had similar uh, weight and pressure on you. You were one of the biggest companies in the S&P 500, biggest real estate holder in the country, correct? Correct. No, I think per, per, perhaps these days the world, I don't know. But yes, one of, certainly the, one of the largest in the world. So Wall Street was chirping at you. I'm sure Congress was putting pressure on you, your investors, your employees. The board wants you to turn this place around. I can't even imagine just the weight of what that must have felt like. And in that, what are some of those moments for you that were transformational for how you led the team? Well, let me tell you about a story that's perfect lead in. So first of all, just back to one thing I want to tell you is that, you know, I, I always would tell not only my team, but our people. And it comes right out of Romans 5, verse 3. Adversity leads to perseverance. Perseverance builds character. Character leads to hope. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that building, you know, character and hope allows you to survive and thrive. But one of the things I did, you know, this is really interesting. Um, we were experiencing some, you know, difficulty in the management team. Look, when, you, when you're running a company that is potentially on the verge of bankruptcy and it's playing out in the Wall Street Journal, all your employees know about it. Your senior management team knows about it. There's dysfunction. There just is. 
I mean, imagine people going to home every night thinking about their jobs and thinking about, you know, how do we turn this around and blah, blah, blah. And I'm guessing everybody's pointing fingers, second guessing every decision through the whole leadership team, gossiping. I'm sure just when you say dysfunction, like this is real. Oh, yes. Human nature because of probably they're afraid of their life and livelihood. Well, not life as much, but, uh, you know, that it's revealing character. And a lot of us needs character development. It is. And, and, and none of us are perfect at it. That's for sure. And so, um, so I decided to hire a coach and I decided that the coach would come in and, and coach um, all seven or eight of us in the senior management team. And he wanted to come into our meetings. I, I was struggling with that, but what we did do is we did pretty extensive 360 degree evaluations on everybody, really extensive personality testing by the way, part of the um, uh, 360 degree evaluation was, was that he he actually interviewed our wives or our spouses, I should say. And so anyway, he got a pretty good idea of what we were all about. And he comes in and um, talks to me the first time about all of this once he finally got the results. And um, he said, well, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. I said, okay, well, give me the good news first. He said, well, the good news is that People actually like working with you. He said, you know, and they actually believe that you and the management team are on the right track. I said, well, that's great. Can we just stop there? He said, no. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> he said, the bad news, Walt, is your empathy scores aren't all that good. He said, both in your personality tests, as well as things that people said. And I'm telling you, John, it was like putting a dagger in my heart. Because I always believed deep down inside, perhaps erroneously, that you know, I, I was a fairly empathetic person. Truth of the matter is that I, I wasn't, at least wasn't perceived at that. And I said, well, give me an example. He said, well, a lot of people see you as a leader who's running around like a chicken with his head cut off trying to save the company, but they can't walk in and approach you and say something to you because they think they're going to bother you. In other words, you're not you're not showing openness to people. You're showing actually a very nervous look about you. And at the end of the day, that's not how you lead. And by the way, they're going to turn around the company anyway. i mentioned that in the beginning of this. Well, I have to tell you, um, we started putting a, a plan in place to pull well, me can away. I ask you, can I ask you a question about that? Because, yeah. you know, that kind of feedback, because I've had some feedback moments in my life. And here's what I think about it, right? We have this self, every one of us has the self-identity, which is what we believe to be true about ourselves. And right. and a lot of it is aspirational, like how we want to be seen and show up in the world. And we really think that's that we're living that way. And then you hear feedback like this, that's, that's completely out of alignment with how that identity. And Correct. what I've seen with a lot of leaders is they'll they, they'll take that feedback. And, and this is a question I can you know ask people listening, right? Think about this. On a scale of one to 10, 10, you do what Walt did. You think about it, you process it, and you start to implement changes. One, you just reject it. And when I've asked that with groups of leaders, Walt, most people put themselves, if they're being honest, somewhere between a four and a six, mm-hmm. right? If, I, if you tell me something I don't agree with, and I, I'm just curious, for yourself, when you heard that, what allowed you to really kind of take that in, process it and go, well, even if I'm not sure if this is true, it's still the perception of my team to really lead, to really build trust. Um, I'm going to have to make some changes. What what do you think allowed you to make that choice in that moment? Because just 
you might not be aware of this, but I got to tell you that reaction for a lot of leaders is actually fairly unique. And and I love that you went there. You know, I, it's a really good question. The first thing that hit me is um, when I went into the meeting with him, I did have a willingness to be vulnerable. I just had a feeling there were going to be some things that came up. So in some respects, I put my mind in mm. that, you know, I, I, I say it for fun to say, you know, let, can we stop at the good news? And I did actually say that to him, but, but I didn't mean that. Um, I was prepared that you look, you know, stocks down 95% or not, you know, I mean, there's some stuff that's going to come out. And I think that hiring a coach for me was a catalyst for truth. And and the reason I hired him wasn't for him to tell me all the good things about me. I hired him because I wanted to hear the bad things as well. So I actually was just open to it, John. Um, can't tell you exactly that I would always be open to it, but at that point in time, look, you know, when the, when when you're going through adverse times, in some respects, your heart is more open during those times than it would be otherwise, right? Um, you're trying to improve everything you can, but it was a catalyst for truth for me. And I think truth helps you to build your character um, and become better at what you do. I talk to people all the time about accountability groups, whether they be, you know, if you're spiritual, whether they be a Bible study or whether they just be simply fellowship get togethers. I have two such groups in Florida here um, that I still meet with on Thursday mornings and Friday mornings, because I do think it's really important for us to ask ourselves questions about ourselves and, and the world around us. And um, I recommend that whether it be through coaching or whether it be through accountability groups, but that everybody try to find somebody that can be brutally honest with them. And at a minimum, somebody that's gray haired that has gone through these things before. That's what I seek. And and I, I'm glad you know, that Walt, I think all of, told us, me that. all of us need a wingman. You know what I'm saying? We do. We Absolutely. Need a wingman. Yeah. We need a wingman. And if we think that we can just kind of, you know, hide our, our head in the sand and not tell ourselves things about ourselves, uh, that's not going to get us where we want to get us, you know? So anyway, that is one story. I already told well, you. Well, here, share this now. Ahead. So you took that feedback. Uh, you were yeah. just about to talk about some changes you did yeah, yeah. kind of working with your team. And I'd love for you to keep going. Well, I'll give you one example. And, you know, when you do a 360, uh, you know, they not only talk to my direct reports, but they talk down the organization to a number of different people. And so I wasn't sure, uh, nor did I need to be sure if it was coming from my team or just somebody from, you know, throughout the organization. But um, one, one of the things I, I found myself doing, John, I, I traveled 80% of the time. So let's say on average, I was in the office one day a week. And that one day I would come in and I had, I don't know, seven or eight or maybe six or seven, I should say, direct reports. I have to think about it. But, and I would try to take one of those direct reports out for lunch and just catch up because, I mean, it's hard communicating when you're always on the road. But I realized that I was creating internally this, this viewpoint that it was me and the management team and that I wasn't, you know, interacting with employees as much as I should have been as the CEO. And I thought, you know, I'm going to change that. So one of the things I started to do, it was really simple, but I went into the cafeteria. We had a cafeteria where everybody ate and um, I would stand in line and whoever was in front of me was either their lucky day or unlucky day. So I would single them up, buy them lunch, 
and sit down and have a conversation that always started off with how's your family? Not, you know, how's everything going in the accounting department or how's everything going in IT or whatever, right? And I just tried to be more human and a little bit more open and not so visibly nervous about where we were as a company, but much more human about um, the fact that we were going to get through it. And I'd like to find out how you're doing. And, and I just think that over time, little simple fixes like that go a long way to solving, you know, your, and on that particular issue, I think it helped me out substantially. I think, you know, so many, we got to understand, I think, how we're wired. If you look at all those personality tests and assessments, right, there's, there's a big group of us that are wired more transactionally. It's about getting the work done, the to-dos, the tasks. That kind of takes priority, right? That's kind of front and center of our mind. And there's another group, they're more relationally oriented, right? They want to check in and see how you're doing and then the work. Now, that can create conflict because if I'm transactional, you want to come up and chit-chat about your weekend and I'm trying to get a task done, all of a sudden I can get annoyed. Or yeah. if I'm relational, you come up to me and I just want the spreadsheet and you're like, well, do you even care about me or my kids? Or my family? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we got to think about this place in this middle because it reminds me when you said that a story, I was, I was coaching with a guy who is... Um, an executive at one of the largest defense contracting companies. He has 85,000 employees. And he was sitting here bragging to me about one of the women on his team who's coming in every day during COVID and she's doing this and knocking this out and doing this and they're in their manufacturing. And, and I said, well, I said, man, that's awesome. How is she doing personally? Mm -hmm. He had no idea, like literally zero. And I said, well, what do you think would be the next best step for you? He goes, well, maybe I should just call her and, like you said, well, ask about her family. Yeah. And he called me back the next day and said, that was a two hour conversation. I had no idea. Her husband is, you know, compromised. He can't leave the house. She's trying to hold down her job and she's got kids and a sick mom. And she is literally at her breaking point, but she would never show that at work. And if I hadn't asked the question, I probably would have lost her as, as probably one of my best people on my team. And it was absolutely a wake-up call for him. So like what you're talking about, these getting to know our folks and developing that relation. How do you develop trust with somebody that you don't think cares about you as a person? It's really hard to trust a leader who that's your perception of, don't you think? I do. And I, and I have to admit, as much as I talk about these things and write about these things, back to what you just said, I'm probably more of the transactional type I do think that I have a, a thread of empathy in me that can come out if I, but I have to work on it. I really do. And I know it's the right thing, but it doesn't always come out that easily for me uh, because I am so focused on the transactional and the numbers. I'm a, I'm just so you know, I'm a former accountant. <laughs> I was, my first job out of college was, the, was to become a CPA. So I think. Well, for Walt, I got to tell you, I've never met an accountant who's actually transactional. You no, haven't? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you just met the first one. But 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 seriously, I think numerically first, but I do think I can be relational, but I have to remind myself of it because I get dragged down by sometimes the transactional side of things. So yeah, that's that's and that's exactly what happened. So that's an example of something that happened internally. I told you the story the last time we got together about feigning. I don't know that I have to go. You want me to go through that again? But I would love to hear that story because you know what? I think it's so relatable because 
you know, I can just imagine all of us, whether it's a small team, right, whether it's maybe a coach listening and you got one or two people or you got nine or 10 employees and you're trying to figure out where the trends are and meet it and grow, but you're making decisions that feel incredibly, um, you know, like these are weighty decisions or you you have a large organization. And there's a lot of times as a leader, we want to come in and we want to be the person, you know, setting direction, making the decision. And, and then some, you know, and it feels good because then if it works out well, we get the credit. But right. you hit like almost a, a breaking point for you in that kind of leadership environment. If I, remember. I did, yeah. I did. I was only I was only on the job and I, I'll I'll be brief about this, but I was only on the job for about a month and it was close to Christmas time. And um, we were rounding the third base and on our way home into the next year, if you will. And um, we were in a late night finance committee meeting. And one of the, our, our finance people said to me, um, Walt, I've got some bad news. And I said, what's that? He said, I think we're going to blow our bond covenants. And we had, I don't know, we probably had seven or $8 billion of bonds outstanding. And so what, what does that mean for people listening? Well, right. I, I was happened. just going to explain. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So, so if you think about doing a loan and the bank says, okay, we're going to make you this loan, but you have to produce a certain amount of earnings every year to prove that you can pay this loan. And if you don't, if you don't hit a certain earnings level, we have the ability as a bank to call the money back or as a bond, you know, bondholders and right. Um, so you covenant that you're going to earn a certain amount every, you know, a minimum amount every year. And if your company falls below that, you're in trouble. Um, so it almost and- be like, let's say I'm making a hundred thousand a year and I buy a house and the, and the bank says, listen, if your income drops below 75, we're just going to re we're going to own your house. The bank it now becomes bank property and you guys got to leave. Is, is that's that right. You, it, that's that. That's a, a good way of looking at it. And so yeah. we. So that's scary because that's a lot of property and square footage that that covers. Well, and what happens is the banks can put you into bankruptcy. Okay, your bondholders could put you into bankruptcy, and that's what I. So I responded to this person. And I said, "Well, when would we blow the bond covenants?" He said, "Not this quarter, but the first quarter of next year." And I said, "Hmm." And I said, what does that mean? And, you know, well, well, it means that we're probably, we might have to declare bankruptcy. So I, my face got white as a ghost. And I said, do you guys mind if I just walk down the hall? I just need a little fresh air. I felt like I was going to faint. And I walked down the hallway. I got past two or three offices. I begin to feel like I'm going to faint. And so I noticed this chair that's, you know, not too far in the distance and I beeline to the chair, trying to get to it to sit down. And I don't get there. And I miss it, miss the chair by no more than a couple feet. But what happened is I fainted and the corner of my head hit the corner of, or the top of my head hit the corner of the desk, just above my eye. And I split open my um, forehead and I'm laying in a pool, you know, started to accumulate a pool of blood for about what turned out to be about 10 minutes. And then, and this is in the middle of the night, it was totally pitch dark. And I get up and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, where am I for about the first minute, 30 seconds to a minute. And then I look down, there's blood on the ground. My head is killing me. And I thought, oh my gosh, all these people are still in the room waiting for me to come back. So I run into the uh, bathroom, suture it up, get the bleeding to stop, 
go back in the room and I said, okay, guys, let's talk about this bankruptcy issue. And my, I think it was my CFO, I couldn't remember who, but somebody said, no, Walt, let's talk about that god-awful lump on your head. <laughs> and I told them the story and I looked around and I said, you know what, guys? I said, the truth of the matter is that I was hired to turn around this company and I just feel this weight of the world to do it. And it just suddenly dawned on me that I don't have the answers. I, you know, I'm hired to have the answers, but I don't have the answers. You guys all have the answers. If we're going to somehow stay out of bankruptcy, it's going to come from you guys. And all of a sudden, it seemed like 30 seconds, but it was probably only five of <laughs> nothing but silence. And then somebody said, you know what? Well, let us think about it. And we'll come back to you with our thoughts. And they did. And we did. And it, it it would take another story to tell you how we did it. But we, and we did it legitimately. <laughs> but we saved ourselves from going into bankruptcy. It took a lot of work. It was an amazing plan. And the truth of the matter is that I learned a big lesson. And that is that there's power in vulnerability. And when I say that, I'm not recommending that leaders be vulnerable at all times, because you probably wouldn't be a leader if you were always vulnerable. Um, there are times when you have to plant the flag. There are times when you have to carry the flag. And there are times where people actually want you to lead and have the answers, or at least pretend like you do. <laughs> okay? But I think that there is also a time and place to be vulnerable. You know, why? Because it's one of the most human things you can do. And if you want to open up communication in an organization, the way to do it is to be vulnerable one one time or, or, or more because everybody else lets down their guard if the boss lets down their guard. At least they feel more comfortable doing it. And that's where real communication happens. And I found that that night, which kind of that story, I have to tell you, did not stay in the finance meeting. It um, spread throughout the organization. And I was fine with it spreading throughout the organization because I wanted everybody in the company to know that there was a human side of me that wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't have all the answers. You know, um, well, what I love about that though, you know, that is you making a choice actively to not um, engage either that pride or hubris side of leadership, right? Instead of like, hey guys, don't tell anybody the story that I fainted when I got this news went out and you were like embracing the fact that like, you know, guys, I'm, I'm human. And you know what, that prime made, you know what, I, I can just envision that. I actually, I know some people that worked at your company during this period of time and every single one of them was like, you know, that team, that culture, that time was one of the most incredible times of my life being around Walt and the, and the team there, but it's because of what you created uh, as a choice. And I think a lot of people go into like, no, I don't like, how do I want to be known and seen? And if you're bringing your pride into that, our ego into that, it's probably not going to have the outcome that you are hoping it does. Yeah, I think that's right. It was a feeling of being busted in one, in one sense, but I didn't really have any answers. I mean, I didn't know what to say. And sometimes it's okay to say that you don't know what to say. I love that. And you know what, as, as we wrap up, I, I would love your thoughts on this because, you know, Walt, as I've gotten to know you over many years, 
you were just when I think of a kingdom leader, somebody who's just uh, doing the right things in partnership with the Lord in very difficult situations. You always come to mind as an example. And you shared with me once that your favorite verse comes from Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him through all you do and he will make your path straight. And could you share with everybody listening how you were able to weave not only that verse, but that kind of faith into some of these huge, difficult situations that God called you into? Well, I think it starts with prayer, intentionality in your prayer. And, you know, for me, the best time to pray is in the morning and and uh, before the cell phones ring and before I read email and before, you know, my inbox gets cluttered and all that stuff. Um, I'd like, you know, where I have a clear mind, I pray. And the other thing um, you said, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all you do. I led a public company. And when you lead a public company, you can't really always acknowledge God all the time. I mean, you have to be careful um, because there are some people that, you, you know, there's just some people that will complain about it and and the like. So I actually gave a speech on this one time, but I, I will say to your listeners that are believers, I think there's a time and place to talk about God. It's not always actually. And I find the best time is when somebody asks. So for example, I might be in front of my team um, or in front of all our employees and someone would ask me a question like, you know, Walt, how are you dealing with this? I'm, you know, I'm just kind of curious how you're dealing with the difficulties. And under that circumstance, I think you're wide open to talk about your faith because it's you, it's about you. And I think in a public company setting, what you have to be careful of is that you don't point fingers and say, you need to do this. But when you talk about yourself and relate that to why um, you're driven the way that you're driven, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I never got any complaints from any board members or anybody to talk about it because it was just my fundamental belief, you know? And so, yes, I acknowledged them, but it started off with prayer and it was intentional prayer always in the morning. And you know what? He always led me. He always led me. And ultimately, I truly believe that he led the company to, you know, what the company's become today. I really do. And um, certainly led us out of um, a very, very difficult time. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, right in Scripture, it says, you know, your testimony is one of the most powerful things out there. And that's what you talked about. Who can argue uh, with, you know, who are everybody listening, right? When somebody says, how are you doing this? Like, I don't know, man, it's my faith. You can be as simple as, you know what? It's my faith. Yeah. I remember, I remember my, my dad was going in the hospice and, and there was a whole bunch of crazy bad stuff going on externally. And I, I remember a woman coming up to me. She goes, I, I don't get it. How are you so calm right now? I knew where she was coming from. She's not uh, a believer at all. And I said, well, I got to tell you, just it's just rooted in my faith in Jesus mm -hmm. and my experience that I had with him through my accident. And she goes, would you be open to sharing more? I'm like, of course, of course I would. And this is not a context where talking about faith was nobody was doing it. It wasn't really encouraged in this environment that I was in. But you know what? When you're just honest with people like that, because guess what? I don't have an agenda in that moment, right? 
That's right. I'm just, I'm just gratefully sharing how I got to this amazing place because of God in my life. And, you know, if that creates an opening for a conversation, then, you know, the other thing I've also done at work, and I have never in 35 years had anybody from the military to the Pentagon to the boardroom, when somebody's really having a bad day, like a friend, a, a guy who I know, his wife just got diagnosed with stage three ovarian cancer. Hmm. And I just said, can I pray with you? Right. I've had a couple of people say, no, I'm good. Um, 95% of the time they say, you know what, please. And I have never in, even in the work situation personally experienced any negativity around even just asking that question. Cause I think it shows that you really care That's whether they believe or not. They love the fact that you're willing to pray for them. They're like, Oh, maybe it works. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Anyway, oh. it was for me, it was a privilege and an opportunity. And at the end of the day, I look back on it as a wonderful opportunity to learn about what leadership was all about and frankly, learn a little bit about myself, John. Well, I can tell you, the book is fantastic. And while, how do people find you, connect with you, find the book if they want to follow up from just hearing this fantastic conversation? Well, the our website is waltrakowicz.com. So it's W-A-L-T-R-A-K-O-W-I-C-H. You can just go on um, the website and you can get a lot of information from there. All right. Fantastic. Uh, Walt, you're just a bright light and you're just doing incredible things in the world. You continue to take that, your experience, your wisdom, your leadership, and you're just infusing it into so many great organizations here in Colorado. You're on boards, you're mentoring people. I just love how you are just engaged and um, you're just an example to so many others. Thank you for, I think, just how you show up and how you live your life. I, I truly, truly appreciate it. And uh, you're like this, uh, you're exhorting people, right, to move into action also. And I love that. Thank you, John. Well, I've really enjoyed being on today. And um I wish you all the best and I wish your listeners all the best as well. And uh, remember to be transfluent. All right. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, brother. All right, brother. Take care.